preaching this sermon on Father's Day, so I kind of incorporated a story about my father and I, and, uh, and then I thought, you know what, it is actually applicable enough that I'm just going to keep on with it. So if this sounds kind of like a Father's Day um, talk, it kind of is, but it's applicable. So uh, when I was a kid growing up, I was kind of a paranoid kid. I was afraid of the dark. I was afraid of the monsters that were lurking in my closet. I was afraid that every shadow in the dark was a monster. And, uh, and all of this was kind of for good reason. Um, my cousin, who was probably in her early 20s at the time, I was about four or five, she came to live with us because she was going to hairdressing school. And uh, she needed to move away from home, and we were close to where her school was. So she came to live with us. And I don't know if it's the same now when you go to hairdressing school, but back then they would give you this uh, fake plastic head. <laughs> and so she would bring this home to practice on, and, uh, and she would put it in the darkest of places. And so when I went, and she knew I, would go in, I was going into a room, she'd put it there so, to scare me. Or she'd bring it into a room she knew I was coming into and jump out with it at me. And so I became a pretty afraid of, of uh, dark rooms, of, of entering dark rooms. I was also paranoid as a kid about getting sick, again, for good reason. Um, my, my parents had a little bit of a scare with me when I was about five, uh, probably four or five. They thought, um, for some reason, I don't even know why, they thought that I was... Uh, maybe had diabetes. And so they took me to a WACA specialist to get checked out, and it turned out that it was nothing. But then a couple of months after that, I actually uh, developed a, uh, like a lump in my throat. And what's the first thing that a parent thinks of when they see a lump? They're thinking, oh my goodness, Mark has cancer. So we're going to run him to some more specialists and get him checked out. And it turns out it was, you know, I had a thyroid problem. I took medications for a few months, and I was fine. But after that, every lump or bump or sniffle I got, I was like, oh no, this is the end. So I was a little bit paranoid, uh, became probably a bit of a hypochondriac. I was also afraid as a kid of getting kidnapped, again, for good reason. See, I come from a relatively large family. Uh, there's 11 of, of us, including myself, siblings. Um, and in order to keep us all in line, when we went out, my parents would say, okay, if you kids can't see us, you're probably going to get kidnapped, so stick together. So every time we went out, we always made sure mom and dad were in sight. But uh, so you can imagine one day, I went to the mall with my dad and my brother. And um, we went to the mall in kind of like the center court of the mall. The polka dot door was, uh, the cast from the polka dot door was doing this little production thing. So we stood by and we watched it for a bit. And I was completely entranced. Nothing else entered my mind until there was a bit of a break. And I looked around and my brother and my dad weren't there. And I was terrified. But something that they taught me must have stuck with me because I, I saw somebody in uniform. I don't know if it was a security guard or if it was a police officer, but I knew enough to go and look for somebody in uniform and to, and to talk to them. So I went to him, and, uh, and he's, he said, okay, we'll, we'll see. We can, we can find your dad, no problem. What does he look like? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> okay, well, uh, what color is his hair? Like, <laughs> I, I don't know. Uh, does he have a beard or a mustache? I don't know. <laughs> I'm very observant. What was he wearing? I have no clue. What's his name? I know that. It's dad. 
So I was kind of hopeless. So we stood around for a bit. He, the, uh, this guy made sure to take care of me. And finally, my dad and my brother came wandering back. And uh, the first thing my dad did was grab my hand. And at that moment, I knew I was safe. I was relieved. I was safe. Uh, I knew I had nothing to worry about. And that's the thing about the hand of a father, right? It brings security. It brings safety. It brings comfort. And so as we walked out of the mall, my dad continued holding my hand until we got in the car and he buckled me in. And he buckled me in. He gets in his seat. And the first thing he says is, don't you ever do that again. (laughs) A father's hand is pretty unique, right? It can go from comfort to discipline in the blink of an eye. But that's the hand of a father, isn't it? There's nothing more unique than the hand of a father. It plays a lot of different roles. It can guide. It can lead. It can discipline, protect, provide for. It picks you up when you fall. It cheers for you. It can wipe tears from your eye. The hand of a father plays a unique role in our lives. And that is actually the picture that the, that the Bible paints of, of, uh, of God in our lives, the hand of a father playing a unique role, guiding us, directing us, comforting us, disciplining us when necessary. Ultimately, the father's hand for us is about companionship. And that's the, a theme that weaves itself throughout Scripture. God wants to interact with his people. He wants to be a companion to his people. And so uh, today I want to look at how God interacted with just uh, with one man uh, th- throughout his lifetime. And, uh, and, and this is the story of Abraham in Scripture. So I want, what I want you to do before we, uh, before we jump into Scripture, if you want to turn to, uh, to Genesis chapter 12, that's where we're going to start reading. But what I want you to do is forget about anything that you've heard about Abraham before. That might be hard for those of you who, have, if you've grown up going to Sunday school or been in church at all or read the Bible, he's mentioned all throughout Scripture, but I want you to try and forget all of that because what I want to do is just take a fresh look at some things about Abraham that we might overlook, things that we might not necessarily get a hold of if we, uh, if we have all the other stuff in, in our mind that we know about Abraham. So uh, Genesis 12 is at the very front of the Bible. Um, so if you want to turn there, I'm actually, we'll give you a little bit of background before that, because Abraham is actually mentioned in the end of chapter 11, very uh, minor mention. Um, it talks about Terah's family. So Terah was the father of Abraham. Abraham had a couple of brothers as well. They lived in Ur of the Chaldeans. Abraham had a wife named Sarah, and they had no kids. They weren't able to have kids. So that's what we know about Abraham up until this point in Genesis chapter 12. So if you'll read with me uh, verse 1 of, uh, 1 of Genesis chapter 12, it says this. Abraham's talk, or God's talking to Abraham. And he says, Abraham, leave your native country, your relatives and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families of the earth will be blessed through you. So I want to take a few things away from this, this very brief interaction that God has with Abraham. And the first thing that I think we can learn from the life of Abraham is that God longs to interact with us on a personal level. 
He longs to interact with each one of us on a personal level. Now, the Bible has a lot to say about Abraham, but again, I want you to disregard anything that you've heard previously and think about this. At this point in the biblical narrative, all that we know about Abraham is that he lived in Ur of the Chaldeans, he had a father, two brothers, and a wife, and they couldn't have kids. It's not a whole lot to go on. Other than that, we really know nothing else about Abraham. For all we know, up until this point, Abraham had no interactions with God. We don't know. But if he did, if his interactions with God had happened before this point in his life, they were nothing remarkable enough that they were recorded in Scripture. So what does that mean for us? The story of Abraham is, or at least it it could easily be, the story of each one of us. We're all just some guy we're all just some girl. For, the, for most of us, there's not a lot that we have done, and there's probably not a lot that we will do that somebody's going to stop and say, hey, you know what? I should write this down for posterity's sake. In 100 years or 1,000 years, somebody is going to want to take notice of this and learn from it. That was Abraham up until this point. He was just some guy. And yet God picked him out specifically, chose to speak to him, to interact with him on a personal level. God gave him something to do, and God gave him promises that he could look forward to. So what we can learn from Abraham and many of the other uh, characters that are spoken about in Scripture is that God interacts with people on a personal level. And it's not just prophets. It's not just priests or pastors or missionaries that God chooses to interact with. God chooses to interact with each one of us on a personal level level. At the point where uh, Scripture introduces us to Abraham, he was just some guy. Sure, he went on on to become a hero of the faith, and we learn that later on as we read about Abraham in Scripture. But why is that? Why would it be? And it's because his relationship with God um, took a kind of a different level, because when God chose to speak to Abraham, Abraham chose to listen. God said simply, Abraham, I want you to pick up everything that you have in your family, and I want you to move, and I want you to go to a new land. And it's interesting, if you read on further about the life of Abraham throughout most of his life, it's not as though God was asking Abraham to do anything particularly remarkable. There's one or two instances where God asked him to do something that, was, that might have been pretty big, but for the most part... God spoke to Abraham quite a bit in Scripture, and for the most part, he was asking him to do simple things. Abraham, take your family and move. Really? That is the beginning of the, the, the life of a hero of, uh, of the faith? How many of us might have moved because we felt that God maybe was calling us to someplace different? Maybe he was calling us to a, a, a different mission field. Maybe he was calling us to a different church. Maybe he was calling us to a different place to live. How many of us, maybe we've moved because we felt like God was just calling us to a different lifestyle. Maybe he wanted us to eliminate debt in our lives, so he called us to downsize. Maybe he was calling us to a simpler lifestyle so that we spend less time worrying about our stuff and could spend more time with people. Maybe he's called us to a different lifestyle so we could open up our lives more and become more hospitable and have a a different impact in people's lives. New opportunities. How many of us, have, uh, have chosen a career choice or a job or schooling based maybe on what we feel God has led us to do. If you've done that, 
your life could very easily be the life of the beginning, the beginning of a life of a hero of faith, just like Abraham. God rarely calls his people to do unusual or remarkable things. Interacting with God on a personal level is more about listening for his direction in the simple, everyday things of life. And more often than not, it's not about something miraculous or earth-shattering. Usually it's about the everyday things of life. But what's important is that when he calls us to those everyday things, it's according to his circumstances, according to his plan, and according to his timing. Could be something like, hey, why don't you go and talk to that person? They look a little lonely. That could be life-changing for someone. Hey, why don't you call so-and-so up and go and have coffee with them? That could be life-changing for somebody. Why don't you go and see if maybe you can pray with that person? It's not miraculous. It's not earth-shattering, but it could be very much be life-changing for somebody. Interacting with God on a personal level and allowing Him to use us for His plan is more often about His timing and about interacting with Him for the small, everyday things in life. God rarely chooses someone who's already famous or would be considered significant by the world's standards to do big things for Him. It might happen on occasion, but for the most part, God chooses to interact with the ordinary guys and girls of the world. And the reason for that is because he can make so much more of an impact doing little things every day for each one of us than he could with one significant person trying to spread his word or, or, or do things for him. And the thing is, oftentimes we say, well, so-and-so has so much more influence than us. They've got so much more up on us. The, the truth of the matter is that God has given us all equal opportunity. He's given us all his word. We can all have a Bible. That couldn't be said a couple hundred years ago, but we've all been given his word. And if you don't have a printed copy, you can download it on your, on your iPhone or your phone. And if you're not into reading, you can download an audio version. You can listen to it when you're driving in your car or while you're cleaning or before you go to bed. We all have equal access to his word, and he chooses to interact with us through his word. We all have equal access to salvation through Jesus Christ. There is no more intimate way to interact with God than being invited into his family through salvation in Jesus Christ and becoming a part of his family and becoming one with him. We all have access and equal opportunity to salvation through Christ, and we all have access to his Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit doesn't just speak to, the, to important people or to people that we think are significant. Holy Spirit speaks to each and every one of us and goes before God on our behalf. We all have equal opportunity to interact with God through His Holy Spirit. God chooses to interact with us, the ordinary guys and girls of the world, in simple ways to do simple, everyday things on a regular basis. And that is how God will change the world. When you listen to His calling in the simple things of life, that's when He'll change our lives. That's when He'll change the lives of those around us. That's when He'll change this family. He'll change the community and ultimately change the world. The second thing I think that we can learn from the life of Abraham is that the journey is just as important as the destination. Remember that we're trying to look at the life of Abraham with fresh eyes. And up until this point in the story of God's people, we know very little about the man Abraham. We know that he had a family and that they lived in a certain spot in modern-day Turkey, actually. We know that he had a wife named Sarah, and they were unable to have children. But there doesn't appear to be anything particularly special about this man. 
Abraham. And yet God chooses to reveal himself to Abraham. God gives him an instruction. He says, Abraham, gather your family, gather your stuff, and go. Leave your country with your family. I'm not going to tell you where. I'm not going to tell you when. You'll know when you get there. It's a bit of a mystery to Abraham. But God says, go. And then God gives him a promise. He says, Abraham, I'm going to give you a new land. You and your family have kind of happened upon this land that you're living in. You've kind of been squatters for a little while. I want to give you your own land, a land for you and for your people, a land that will ultimately be for my people. He says, Abraham, I'm going to make you into a great nation. I know you're 75 years old. I know your wife can't have kids. But Abraham, you are going to have a child. You're going to have more than one child. And from that, from your family, I'm going to make a great nation. Abraham, I will bless you and make you famous. Up until this point in time, nobody has heard of who you are, Abraham. Nobody knows you, but I'm ultimately going to make your name known around the world. Eventually, everyone will know the name of Abraham. And best of all, Abraham, I'm going to bless all of humanity through you. Despite my disappointment with humanity, up until this point in history, they've been a disappointment. But there's still hope for them. And ultimately, all the families of the earth will be blessed through you, Abraham. God didn't tell Abraham where he was going or when he was going to arrive there. Abraham actually spent years, even decades, until, he, uh, until the promise was fulfilled, until Abraham started to see those promises uh, fulfilled. For us, as followers of Jesus, sometimes there can be a similar gap. Sometimes God calls us to something, and we don't see the results of what he's called us to immediately. Sometimes there's a gap between when God says go, and then when God starts to show the fulfillment of what he's promised us. And if we're honest, I think we'll admit we don't like living in a gap. We don't like living in a place where God has said go, and then for a while we don't see any results. If God calls us to something, we like to see action happen right away. If we're honest with ourselves, we don't like not knowing where we're going. If we're honest with ourselves, we don't not like knowing uh, when we're going to arrive there. If we're honest with ourselves, we don't like not knowing what we need to take with us or how much it's going to cost. We don't like the unknown. We like to know where we're going. We like to know when we're going to get there, what we need to take, and how much it's going to cost along the way. After uh, the birth of our second daughter, Eden, that was 12 years ago now, we decided that we were actually done having children naturally. We talked about it before Eden was born, and uh, we prayed about it, and we spent a year after Eden was born talking and praying about it. And uh, after, you know, almost two years of talking and praying about it, we decided, all right, um, we feel like God's called us to stop having children naturally, and we sealed the deal, so to speak. But the thing was, we didn't know if we were done having children altogether. Krista and I, from the time we started dating, had talked about the possibility of adoption. Both of our families are rich, have a rich history in adoption. And, um, you know, it's something that was always in the back of our mind. And when we got married, it was something that continued to be in our minds. And it was something that we continued to pray about after um, we'd had our two children. But um, about six years ago, we just 
it kind of fell out of our hearts and fell out of our minds, and we felt like God wasn't really impressing us on us anymore. And so about six years ago, we thought, you know what, we're just going to put it on the back burner. We're not going to think about it. We're not going to dwell on it. And don't you know, about six months after that, we both felt very strongly that God was calling us to adopt from Haiti. And so we started the process. That was almost five and a half years ago now. And for five and a half years, uh, things happen at slower than a turtle's pace. Oftentimes, there were enormous gaps of time between when we would do something and when we would hear something. And to be honest with you, living in the gap in that process was extremely difficult. There were times when we were like, is God really still calling us to this? Heather, is, is, is this really what we're still supposed to do? Should we just be giving up? But thankfully, thankfully, the prayers of you folks and our families and our friends and our children would pray about it on a daily basis. We were encouraged to keep up, and we were encouraged to keep going. And uh, last week, we got a proposal. So, um, you know, God worked the story out according to his timing. And maybe you're in a similar place today. Maybe you've trusted God with the unknown. Maybe you believe that God has called you to something. Maybe it's something big. Maybe it's something small. Maybe it's a greater mission. And you've obeyed. Maybe you've started to take steps towards that. But maybe you feel like, you know, you're in a quiet time and that he's just not uh, speaking to you at this point. Maybe it's your job situation or your career. Maybe you feel like God has called you to something. You've started down that track, and uh, you're just kind of going day to day, and you don't necessarily hear God saying, this is what you're supposed to do today. This is where I'm going to take you. You've started down the road, but uh, now you're left wondering what's next. Maybe it's your finances. Maybe you've decided, you know what, I think God has called me to get my finances in order, get out of debt, make things right, and move forward with my finances. And you've started to do that, but maybe things have just kind of slowed down, and sometimes you go to bed at night still wondering, am I going to be able to pay my bills next week? Maybe it's your health. Maybe you're asking God when he's going to restore your health, and you know that he is able to do that beyond a shadow of the doubt, but you're still not getting better. Maybe it's a relationship, a marriage, a relationship with your kids, where you've decided that despite the fact that things are tough, You've given it to God, and you're going to stick with it, and you're going to work on it, and you're committed to it. But it just doesn't seem like it's getting better today. Sometimes I think that we can often be left wondering in situations like that, where is God? And too often, I think we equate God's timing with God's presence. When God doesn't do things when we expect Him to, I think sometimes we just think He's absent. That because he doesn't show up on our schedule, that he's not showing up at all, that he's absent. Over and over and over again in Scripture, there's a big gap between when God says go and when God starts to show the fulfillment of the promises that he's made to his people. And the question is, as his children, are we willing to live in the gap? Are we willing to live in the tension between God's called me to something I think it should happen this way, but it's happening according to his timing and according to his purpose. Are we willing to become a part of his story rather than expecting him to rewrite his story around our schedule and around our expectations? When we learn to live in that gap between when he's called us and when he starts to fulfill his promise, when we start to see the results of that, we become a part of his ongoing story. He continues to write his story in our lives on a daily basis, rather than expecting him to rewrite his story 
to suit us. The third thing I think that we can learn from the life of Abraham is that God cares about our character more than he cares about our circumstances. If you'll continue reading in Genesis chapter 12 with me, in verse 4 it says this, So Abraham departed as the Lord had instructed, and Lot went with him. So God has called Abraham. Abraham's taken up his family. He started to, to go. He's taken his family with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he left Haran. He took his wife, Sarah, his nephew, Lot, all of his wealth, his livestock, and all the people he had taken into his household at Haran and headed for the land of Canaan. When they arrived in Canaan, Abraham traveled through the land as far as Shechem. There he set up camp outside or beside the Oak of Morah. At that time, the area was inhabited by Canaanites. Then the Lord appeared to Abraham and said, I will give this land to your descendants. Abraham was obeyed, and God has started to, to, to fulfill his promise. Part one of the promise fulfilled. I'm going to give you a land. But there's still a long way before the rest of Abraham's going to see the rest of the promise fulfilled. Sarah's not pregnant yet. He doesn't have one child, let alone a nation of children. He hasn't started to see God bless all of humanity through him. There's still that gap between when God says go and God starts to show the fulfillment of the promise. And uh, as we read on, we find that Abraham runs into some adversity. In Genesis 12:10, it says this, At that time, a severe famine struck the land of Canaan, forcing Abram to go down to Egypt, where he lived as a foreigner. As he was approaching the border of Egypt, Abram said to his wife, Sarah, Look, you're a very beautiful woman. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, This is his wife. Let's kill him, then we can have her. So please tell them that you're my sister. Then they will spare my life and treat me well because of their interest in you. So there's a couple of things going on here. We see that Abraham is uh, hes a little bit worried. Apparently, Abraham realizes he's 75. His wife is a senior citizen. But he realizes that even as a senior, Sarah is smoking hot, right? And he's worried that these people in this new land that don't know him are going to realize that and that they're going to be so desirous of Sarah that they're going to try to kill him so that they can take her as one of their wives. He worries because Sarah is so desirable that the, the Egyptians will kill him to get at her. And at the first sign of adversity, Abraham loses his trust in God. God has promised Abraham that he would have his own land. God has promised Abraham that not only would he have children, but he would, have, uh, he would become a great nation. And that he would bless all of humanity through Abraham. But he's so afraid of what the Egyptians might do to him that he loses faith that God would actually carry through on that promise. So much so that uh, he takes things on himself and he says, Sarah, why don't you say that you're my sister? That way I'm going to be safe. God might not have, uh, you know, his plan might not be carried out through us having children together because the Egyptians might start their own family with you because, uh, but, but then I'll be safe. And so Abraham um, lets circumstances corrupt his character. Abram's first response to adversity was to compromise his character, to compromise his standards, and allow his character to become corrupted. What Abraham didn't realize, or doesn't seem to have realized, and uh, what I think sometimes we fail to realize, is that sometimes God allows us to face adversity. 
Sometimes God allows us to face unknown situations. Sometimes he allows us to face tough situations in order to develop our character. Because God is more concerned about our character than he is about our circumstances. Abram's first response to adversity was to compromise who he was because he he felt in that moment that God had let him down. So now I'm going to take things into my own hands. And sometimes God will allow a dream or an idea or a passion to just dwell and to brew in our hearts before uh, we have the character to actually see that dream or that idea or that passion through to the end. And maybe you're there today. Maybe you feel like um, you're in a certain circumstance in life. Maybe there are things that are causing you deep pain in your heart. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe your job is a source of, uh, of pain or an issue for you. Maybe it's your finances or your health or a certain relationship. And maybe you feel like if God would just change that circumstance, if he would just take me out of that circumstance or put something new into that circumstance, then things would be just fine. And so often we look to God to change our circumstances, and as a result, we miss out on the opportunity for him to change us through that circumstance. Because in the moment, we just want the pain to be gone. In the moment, we just want God to bless us. In the moment, we're not concerned about necessarily about who we're becoming. We're more concerned about what we want or what we need because we know what we need, right? I mean, we know what's best for us, right? But if you look throughout the story of God's people, through the history of God's people, you see over and over and over again that God allows his children to face adversity. You see it in the life of Moses. How many times did he have to go before Pharaoh, before Pharaoh actually let the Israelites go? How many times did the Israelites come grumbling before him while they was wandering in the desert and say, why are we in this situation? Why did you lead us here? He faced adversity time and time and time again. But after 40 years, God's promise was fulfilled. We see it in the life of Aaron and Joshua. If you read the story of Abraham, you see it in his life time and again. And Isaac and Jacob, who was thrown in a well by his brothers, who was thrown in prison, but ultimately who saved the Israelites uh, and much of the land from, from decimation. We see it in the life of Job. There's an entire book in the Bible written to the adversities that he faced. And David and Jonah, time and time and time again, we see the people of God facing adversity. We see a gap between when God says go and between when he starts to fulfill his promises in, the, in their lives. And we see God allowing his people to experience adversity. And why? Why is that? It's not because God couldn't intervene, because we see that happen time and time again as well. It's because difficult circumstances have the greatest potential to develop deep character. Difficult circumstances have the greatest potential to develop the character of Christ in our lives. So maybe today we need to reframe how it is that we look at circumstances that we find ourselves in. Instead of praying, God, would you change my job? God, would you change my marriage or change my wife 
or change my husband, or change my children, or change my parents, or God, just change my circumstance. Please make it easier for me. Maybe instead we need to start praying, God, use this circumstance to change my heart. Use this circumstance to change me. Because God longs to redeem your character way more than he longs to redeem your circumstance. He longs for you to become more like his son, Jesus Christ, more like the person that he saved you to be. And sometimes circumstances are tough. There's no doubt about it. Sometimes they're difficult circumstances. Sometimes we're in situations that we might not choose to be in, and we ask, why am I here? Sometimes God might put you in a circumstance, in a job, or relationship, or a tough situation that's currently causing pain or heartache, but it's not because he doesn't care about you. Sometimes he allows us to be in those situations because he cares deeply about us, not because he doesn't care about us, the exact opposite, because he cares deeply about us, and he cares who we are becoming. Because he wants to see us become more like his son, because he wants to see us rely on him so much that he sees Christ alive in us. And so maybe we need to shift our focus from God, will you change my circumstances, to God, will you change me? And I guarantee you, if you pray that prayer, that is a prayer he will always answer. He will always answer that prayer to make you more like the person that he wants you to become. No matter what you're going through, no matter what you're going to face in this coming week, you're not going to face it alone. God is with you. He is in you, and God is for you. Philippians 2.13 says this, For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases Him. God is working in you. The word working in Greek is the word energos, from, from which we get the word energy. God is working in you. He's giving you the energy to do what He's called you to do. So when we ask God to change our character rather than our circumstances, and when we allow God to become the energy and the driver in our lives, He's working in us. When we ask Him to change our character and we don't rely on our own willpower, when we ask Him to change our our, our character, we're not going to rely on our own strength and our own ability. When we ask Him to change our character and allow Him to work in us, gives us the energy, the power to become the people that He wants us to be. And God says that He will give you the power you need no matter what you're facing. So God longs to interact with each of us on a personal level. Can I ask what you're doing to interact with God on a personal level? And how are you allowing him to interact with you? How are you interacting with him? Is there something that you've built into your life to ensure that you have that time with him? And if there's not something that you've built into your life, can I encourage you, starting, starting today, build something in your life to allow that interaction to take place because God longs to interact with each one of us on a personal level. Remember that the journey is just as important as the destination. Sometimes it'll seem like you're walking it alone. Sometimes it'll be a tough slug. But God longs to reveal or to, re, re, to uh, restore our character and redeem our character more than our circumstances. So I want to ask you, do you have a difficult situation in your life right now? If you do, 
if you're facing the unknown, if you're facing uncertainty, if you're facing difficulty, can I ask you to trust God enough to ask Him to change your character, to change your heart, rather than asking Him to change your circumstance, and trust that as He does that, He will make you more like His Son, Jesus Christ, and that He will see Christ alive in you through that, the power of Christ alive in you. Can I pray with you? Father, we thank you so much for examples of how you have interacted with your people in Scripture. And sometimes it's easy to overlook the little things that you do in their lives and to look at the big things. But, you know, there are things that we can take from Scripture that uh, sometimes seem simple, but they're, they're difficult to actually um, in, to put in place in our lives. And so we ask you um, to help us this week to do things that would allow us to interact with you on a personal level. Give us the strength this week to walk the journey, if, even if we don't necessarily see the end in sight. And uh, we ask that you would re- redeem our character. Give us the power and the strength to redeem our character. And uh, even if we're in a difficult circumstance, it might be tough, we ask that you would change our hearts and allow us to live in the moment, to, to live uh, in your love and in your peace and in your joy in each of those circumstances, because we ask it in your son's name. Amen.